Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I can be your lucky penny. You can be my four-leaf clover. Starting over. Addition. As the Bengals return from a midseason bye week and start over as they open the second half of the season in Pittsburgh against the NFL's last undefeated team, the 8-0 Steelers. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the Bengals' first in-season positive COVID-19 tests and what it could mean on the offensive line. Speaking of O-line, my one-on-one player interview is with Alex Redmond, who could, in an emergency, have to move from guard to tackle. I'll find out the last time he played that position. And in our Know the Foe segment, we'll find out if there's actually a chance that Ben Roethlisberger won't play on Sunday when we visit with Steelers pregame host Tim Benz. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the leaf blower. I don't have a huge yard, but it does feature a bunch of trees that shed leaves at the same rate that I lost hair between the ages of 30 and 35. As a result, raking leaves sucks, but blowing leaves away is great. It saves a ton of time, and it's actually kind of fun. Now, let's get to football. Before we get to Dave Lapham, the Bengals made a roster move after we recorded our conversation that certainly fits the starting over theme of this episode, as they claimed former first-round draft pick Tack McKinley off of waivers following his release early this week by the Atlanta Falcons. The 49ers, Ravens, and Browns also reportedly tried to claim the fourth-year pro. McKinley is a 25-year-old edge pass rusher who is the 26th overall pick in the 2017 NFL Draft out of UCLA. He had six sacks as a rookie and seven in his second season before only having three and a half last year. If you look at his career pro football focus ratings, they are almost identical to Carl Lawson's numbers this season. Tack reportedly showed up for the start of training camp in tremendous shape, only to suffer a groin injury in Week 2, and he hasn't played that much since. But the Bengals are obviously hoping he can boost their pass rush for the second half of the season. Here's Trey Hopkins on the front office adding Tack McKinley. The front office, I mean, it's, it's obvious. It's everywhere in the building. Guys are just hungry to win. Everyone in the building is bought in. And, and, and turning this thing around and getting Cincinnati where it needs to be and, and providing and, and bringing excitement and fun um, back to the city and, and, and having fun winning games. McKinley will be a free agent at the end of the season and due to COVID protocols, he won't make his Bengals debut until next week at the earliest. Now time for my midweek visit with Dave Lapham. All right, we've got news to cover, beginning with the COVID-19 list. Two Bengals players came off the list on Wednesday, Mackenzie Alexander and Jordan Evans. They'll be good to go Sunday in Pittsburgh. Fred Johnson, Margus Hunt, and Trey Waynes remain on the list. Winston Rose was added to the list on Wednesday. Now, he's a practice squad guy, so I think he's only been active for one game this season. Of those names, Lap, I guess Fred Johnson is 
the one that is potentially the, the biggest concern since he started at right tackle in the most recent game against Tennessee, and that the guy that he started for, Bobby Hart, still isn't practicing at full speed. Yeah, Bobby Hart's got a strained MCL, medial collateral ligament of his knee, and a sprain, strain, whatever you want to phrase it. Uh, there's first degree, second degree, third degree tear. So what degree, how significant is that sprain, strain? Everybody heals differently. Um, to think that Bobby would be able to play might be ambitious, you know, this this soon. And if that's the case and Fred can't go, Adenogy gets the uh, opportunity out there at the right tackle position. And I know that uh, they would feel better about that at this point, having seen him play against Tennessee. How would you like to have been in a situation where he's thrown out there against the Pittsburgh Steelers, hadn't taken an NFL snap yet? At least he's got his feet on the ground by going against the Tennessee Titans and, you know, people like Clowney, you know, who's not, uh, you know, not chopped liver. So the fact that he showed up on tape and showed up the way they thought he would show up on tape, I think they would have, you know, a little bit more confidence. But, man, talking about J.J. Watt, and that uh, scheme that uh, that Keith Butler utilizes so well. And that's been there so long, Dan. I mean, Keith Butler's been there a while. He was Dick LeBeau on Dick LeBeau's staff as an assistant. I mean, he's running LeBeau's stuff. It's been, you know, two-plus decades. It's into the third decade almost of, of what they do there. So they know what they're doing, and they know how to do it, and they know when to do things, and the opposition um, doesn't have all that type of experience necessarily to combat it. So... On a on a um, a week by week basis, particularly if you're not a division opponent, I think division opponents see it over and over twice a year, every year. If you're not a division opponent, man, that's that's a tough thing to prepare against. Baltimore and Pittsburgh both. By rule, there's a chance that Fred Johnson could be back. Right. He tested positive last Thursday. You can come back after ten days. Yep. So he could return. The first day he could possibly be back would be Sunday morning. So it's possible. But for that to be the case, he would have to be asymptomatic. Otherwise, that pushes the clock back. Mm-hmm. They're not going to tell us about that, so right. we won't know. Right. And then you run into the whole situation where he wouldn't travel with the team to Pittsburgh. I guess he'd have to get there on his own. So it, it seems unlikely, but if you're desperate enough – it's possible, again, if he were asymptomatic uh, and got there <laughs> separately from the team, he could be activated for that game. Yeah, and if, if that's the case, if he's asymptomatic, they probably already made all those travel arrangements, you know, and, uh, um, you know, but he's, gonna, he's tested every day. So that's the thing is um, you can test negative one day and the very next day test positive. You don't know what this, what this virus, all we know is what we don't know. I mean, people can, uh, couples can share a bed and not get each other infected, but they can go out and see a neighbor for 15 minutes and the neighbor's infected. It, it just, you just don't, there's no handle on it. Everybody, everybody's metabolism, everybody is different how it responds to and handles the virus uh, and exposure to it. So it's, it's crazy. It really is. Um, you know, the, the Ben Roethlisberger situation on the flip side of it, Dan, in my mind, isn't really that big of a deal because... He's contact tracing, so he's five days. He's got two knee injuries, supposedly, so he's getting treatment every day. He's going down there to get treatment. That's what he'd be doing anyway. He'd be getting treatment in Zoom meetings and and chilling. Assuming he doesn't test positive. Assuming he doesn't test positive. But his locker was right next to McDonald's in the locker room, so obviously the contract contact tracing there was obvious, and uh, they obviously had to to follow through on that. But, again – this particular week with his physical status and 
38 years old and played as long as he has. You know how Ben Roethlisberger is. He loves the drama. He'll go out there and show up like John Wayne and, you know, limp out there and uh, throw for whatever he's going to throw for and however many touchdowns. That's just kind of the way he is. And his teammates know about it and they joke about it. The coaches joke about it. That's Ben. Ben's definitely a drama. I'm not saying he's not tough. He's definitely tough. But he wants you to know about it. He's, he's, he wants he wants to be John Wayne. There's no doubt about that. He looked like John Wayne when he was going to the locker room in Dallas before halftime. He, he had the, he the same kind of strut, limp, whatever you want to call it. He did. Let's get back to the tackle situation for a minute because you mentioned the possibility of Hakeem Adeniji starting at right tackle if Bobby Hart is still out mm-hmm. and if Fred Johnson can't play because of COVID-19. That's assuming that Jonah Williams right. is back. At left tackle, he was not back full go at practice on Wednesday, still doing stuff on the side. Zach Taylor sounded optimistic that he would be back, but I guess it's not guaranteed. Then what? Yeah, then then you've got a, a whole kettle of fish uh, that you got to <laughs> fry there. I mean, I, I think I think Jonah will probably give it an effort. Uh, Stingers, though, can be dicey. You know, it might be a deal where we'll see him with a neck brace on, you know, one of those rolls, neck rolls not a brace as such, but a neck roll over the shoulder pad, but it is to try to limit the snap and the movement in your neck, you know, any kind of whiplash effect and all that sort of thing. That must have been how he got it. Or sometimes you get hit and it just pinches wrong, and that and that's literally what it does is it pinches nerves, and nerves and nerve endings get agitated and aggravated, and pretty soon you have a burning sensation uh, down your entire arm. Had them before. Stinger, you know, your, your whole arm burns, and then, boop, everything's numb. From, from your, your neck down to your fingernails is numb. It's weird. <laughs> and sometimes it comes back really quickly. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Um, his seems to be a pretty significant one. So, yeah, if he doesn't go, whew, now Adenogy would play left tackle, and they'd have to go to another, I think, right? You, you, I would keep Adenogy at left tackle. That's his natural spot. He's really good at that spot. He's comfortable at that spot. And now you're throwing things up there. You're going to have to make multiple moves potentially. If you move Redmond out, you're going to have to move. You know Xavier Suafilo is going to be uh, active from the from the uh, injury reserve. Do you plug him in there at right guard where he was before the injury? You know, do you go in a different direction? Now you're starting to shuffle. You know, just like you shuffled for Tennessee, you can't do any more of a shuffle than the line that was shuffled for Tennessee. And boy, they they stepped up and exceeded expectations for sure being part of the performance uh, that they were part of the first time the Bengals had a win against a team with a winning record. Uh, since they beat the Miami Dolphins week five in 2018. It's kind of crazy. And that and that revamped, restructured offensive line was a big, big reason why it really was. Xavier Suofilo, as you mentioned, was activated off the injured list. They've got 21 days now to decide uh, if they're going to put him on the, back on the active roster or if they were to let him go, whatever. But they've got 21 days to make that decision. So he could be back this week. They also added O'Shea Dugas mm-hmm. to the practice squad. He was a tackle that was in training camp last year. Looked okay in camp, then suffered a knee injury. And I'm, I'm not sure what he's done since, but at least he is a tackle who is back in the building. Yeah, a tackle that understands the, the offense. You know, he's been around it. And he's had his moments. Sometimes he plays well. Sometimes he looks a little bit like a statue, you know, in terms of his ability to move. But he is a big, powerful kid. There's no question about that. Um, yeah, so it's it's still definitely a, a shuffle in terms of uh, offensive line play for sure. Able body guys to go out there and, and man that uh, that tackle position. We'll see. We'll see as as it unfolds. But uh, and, and not only. 
not only the physical part of it, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that you have to communicate, and even on the road, this with the, with the COVID, uh, the communication is going to be light years different. I mean, if they if they were going into Pittsburgh in normal situation, normal circumstances, with guys that hadn't played much, and you're going to have that crowd going nuts, and they're playing the you know playing the music, they're blasting all the time, and you can't hear yourself think that would be brutal. But there's not going to be any of that uh, other than the music playing. But there's not going to be anything like that from a crowd standpoint that would inhibit any kind of communication. But that's going to have to be on point. Because part of the problem in Baltimore, early on looking at that, at that uh, tape uh, for a second time a while back, to me there, was, there were free runners between the tackles that shouldn't have been free runners. So that is a Simon error. Uh, you got to block from the inside out. That was, and there were a couple of them that were just flat-out blown assignment. And that's what the offensive line, whoever's in there, they got to play a clean game in terms of no mental errors, no assignment mistakes. And then, of course, if they can do what they did against Tennessee, not giving up any sacks, not turning the football over, you know, not being stopped on downs. They went for it one time on fourth down. They complete a fourth and five, a great improvisational play between Burrow and T. Higgins comes from the sideline, the middle of the field to keep that drive alive. So if they do those kind of things, you know, that'll be a, that'll be a big uh, – Big reason they could win a football game. But against Pittsburgh, man, you're talking about a massive challenge there to get all that done right on the road, at home, on the moon, anywhere. A team the Bengals have not been able to beat in recent years. The Steelers have won the last 10 meetings between these two teams going back to the Andy Dalton broken thumb game back in 2015. Even when the Steelers didn't have Ben Roethlisberger last year, they swept the Bengals. Now Ben is back. He's 25-7 and in his career against Cincinnati, which is disgusting. This will be Von Bell's first ever Bengals-Steelers game. Let's hear from the Bengals' safety. I don't know much about it. You know, I always watched it. Uh, so it's new to me now, you know, I, I was walking my dog the other day and the neighbor like said, you know, this is a big game. I was like, yeah, I know. But he's like, it's different being a Bengals. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, it's different. Like we hate these guys. <laughs> I just felt like it from him. I was like, man, this is intense. I love it. It is intense. It is. And it is he's right. We hate the Steelers, but no uh, it, it's a hatred rooted in jealousy because they have what we want. Six Super Bowl rings. And uh, a team that's 8-0 right now. And uh, Bengals overall against the Steelers, 35-66 and 66 in franchise history, 16-34 and 34 at Pittsburgh. Lost more than two times as many as they've won. <sighs> Man, got to start turning that around. Got to start turning that around now. And that's the thing, Dan. Mike Tomlin basically tied Marty Schottenheimer's record 14 straight years to start a career without a losing season. Well, sweeping the Bengals last year with those – with that quarterback performance, the the Pittsburgh Steelers defense basically won football games for them. They were crippled offense. They're one of the worst offenses in the National Football League. And the Bengals know all about that Pittsburgh Steelers defense winning a couple of games against Cincinnati last year for sure. Carlos Dunlap is gone, but Sam Hubbard is back this week after missing the last three games with an elbow injury. And Sam says he'll be good to go on Sunday. I'm all in. I'm feeling good. Um... I trust it and felt good at practice yesterday. We got pads on today. I anticipate I'll feel good. I'm just getting ready to get the game plan down and go ahead and beat the Steelers. It I guess like when you heard it, you knew right away something was was wrong. Was this about the timeline that you you had in mind when you when they first told you what you did? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you can see it on film. It was a pretty uh, gnarly injury. I dislocated my elbow. Lap and I talked. He did the same thing back in the day. It's not not very pleasant, but, uh, you know, pops back in. But three to four weeks uh, was kind of the timeline we set. And, um, yeah, we stuck to it and it worked out well. Carl Lawson leads the Bengals with three and a half sacks. When Sam Hubbard was out, it was very easy for opposing teams to give a little extra attention to Carl Lawson. That becomes much more difficult with 94 on the field. It does. I mean, you can slide the line Carl Lawson's way. Well, when you slide the line away from the other tackle, that tackle's got the other defensive end one-on-one, and you have to feel comfortable at that matchup. Well, Sam Hubbard makes that comfort less comfortable. So, um, you know, I – I think he won't be in a situation like Gino is. I don't think he'll be a one-armed paper hanger out there. I think he'll be in a much, much different dynamic in terms of uh, what he's trying to get done, and he, he'll be wearing a big, you know, contraption you know, to make sure that it doesn't hyperextend again. A Barry Bonds elbow, yeah. contraption. That looking, that that kind of looking. Looks thing. like a knee brace on your elbow. Exactly, it's like almost like an alien leg or something on your elbow. Um, but you know, he, he'll have to be wearing something like that and. I'm sure he's got most of his range of motion back and a good good bit of his strength or they wouldn't have him out there. So um, it'll be good. But, you know, if, if you're pass rushing, particularly defensive end, you have to grab and pull and rip people. And it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. So if, if your elbow isn't right, it can be a major, major challenge. So I, th- I think Sam will be able to get it done and, and fight through it. And you need all the able bodies you possibly can out there. I mean – Ben Roethlisberger gets the ball out of his hand quickly anyway. So the more guys you can get up the football field in his face, that much quicker, the better off you are. Carl Lawson does have 13 quarterback hits this year. He's tied for sixth in the NFL in that category. I was on a podcast last week as a guest where I was asked about the biggest priority for next year. Mm-hmm. And up until recently, I would have said, well, you got to continue to beef up the offensive line, and that remains true. Sure. But to me, the bigger need now, whether it's the draft or free agency, is a pass rusher. I agree with you. You know, And I think, I think uh, both lines of scrimmage need to be worked on for sure. Uh, this game is a great example of it. Right now, the Pittsburgh Steelers have a plus 22 sack ratio. They've got uh, 32 quarterback sacks, most in the National Football League. They've allowed 10, tied for second fewest. Plus 22 is the best in the NFL. That plus 22 sack ratio, you take away the 10, that that ratio is tied for eighth best in the NFL <laughs> in, in terms of sacks that other people might have gotten. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's crazy. And then, and then you look at uh, the Bengals, they're minus 17 ratio, tied with Jacksonville for worst in the National Football League. They've got 11 quarterback sacks, like you said, tied for 25th, and they've and they've generated uh, they've gotten allowed 28, tied for second most in the league. So, you know, right at the line of scrimmage, both lines of scrimmage, you know, pressuring the quarterback and protecting the quarterback. And we're talking about uh, upgrading the talent level on both sides of that uh, football there up front, where games are won and lost. You know, I mean, you can have great players at skill positions, you can have tremendous linebackers and. Guys in the back end, if you're deficient up front, you're a hurting unit. I know that the Steelers, during the years that we've been doing the games together, have almost always had one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. And their former O-line coach, Mike Munchak, was a big reason, in your opinion. Has it dropped off much since he left for Denver? You know, they still have three Pro Bowl, you know, talent-level players, DeCastro, 
Pouncey and Villanueva. I think, though, Carl Lawson gives Villanueva trouble. He's so long, six foot eight, and that low center of gravity that Lawson has. I, I remember Villanueva struggled with him the first time he went up against him. He had that real good body lean, and, and he's able to still, you know, maintain a speed rush with that body lean. And Villanueva was trying to like push him down in the back and having having real problems with him. So uh, I, I'm going to be interested to see that that matchup a little bit. I don't think Villanueva is playing at the level that he was, but I think the Castro and Pouncey. Pouncey had some injury issues last year. I still think they're playing pretty well, but overall, I'd say it's still a top 10 offensive line, but at one time, it was top five or maybe even better. I think it's maybe a little bit less, uh, but still a pretty darn good unit. Pro Football Focus grades Pittsburgh's O-line number nine in the Mm -hmm. NFL so far this year. They've got Alejandro Villanueva rated lower than both. Jonah Williams and Bobby Hart for his play at tackle. Yeah, I think he's he has struggled a little bit more this year, and and what he's doing is he's he's turning his shoulder pads to the sideline parallel, you know, and he's given a short corner, you know, he's 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 really he's he's setting too too vertically, you know, he's almost like dropping back in the on his set and then turning his shoulders, and he's so big, he's like a big house to try to run around. But I do think uh, I do think Carl Lawson's going to give him some some issues to deal with and. Hopefully on the other side of the line of scrimmage, uh, at, the, at the other end, Sam Hubbard will be doing the same thing. The Bengals back in action this week, 425 kickoff in Pittsburgh against the Steelers on Sunday. After the bye week, the Bengals hit the halfway point of the season with a record of 2-5-1. and one. It's the first break of the rookie year for uh, Joe Burrow and the other members of the Bengals' rookie class. I asked Burrow if he is mentally and physically refreshed. Yeah, I am. Well, after about two days of, of no football last week. I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with these next three, three days of my life? I didn't know what to do. I'd already watched all the shows I wanted to watch and I was getting super bored. So I don't know what I did. Kind of, it's kind of a blur for me, but I'm glad to be back. Which shows did you watch over the bye week? You didn't uh, specify. Um, so I watched Queens Gambit. That was pretty good. Um, started house. So I, there's a lot of seasons of house, so I'm going to continue. I think I'm on season, like, two right now, maybe. Maybe the end of season one. I'm not sure, but that's a pretty good one. Pretty good. I was too scared to watch that. My parents watched that show growing up, but I was too scared to watch it. So I was, I would go upstairs and watch, like, my own show. But I'm starting that one now. What about house would have scared you? I, don't, I was scared of everything growing up. I still don't like scary movies. I don't like haunted houses or anything like that, but... You know, I couldn't watch Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, House. I was like strictly a SpongeBob, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon kind of guy. Not the Steelers pass rush. <laughs> not the Steelers pass rush, no. Scared of everything as a kid, not afraid of anything as an adult. Yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully he gets a good night's sleep before that Pittsburgh Steelers game and he's not uh, he's not having dreams, bad dreams about T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree and Tewitt and Hayward and all those guys up, up front because that Pittsburgh Steelers defensive line is formidable. I never watched House. Was there something scary about House? I don't really. like a doctor, right? Yeah, he's a doctor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one. That one's a little, a uh, little interesting. A uh, little interesting twist. Although I'm trying to think of how old he would have been. You know, I mean, maybe he didn't even understand what what house was. Uh, what house was really That's about? A good point. So 
He would have been really young. Yeah, maybe he thought it was something about a scary house. An evil doctor. Right, an evil doctor that gets you in his house and all kinds of things can happen. I don't know. All right, let's talk about Joe Burrow. He's completed 67% of his passes in the first half of his rookie year. He's thrown for 2,272 yards on pace to set the all-time NFL rookie record for passing yards in a season, as well as the Bengals record. 11 touchdown passes, 5 picks, passer rating of 91.4. He's been special. I mean, there's no doubt. And, and, Dan, the thing that really impresses me is his fourth quarter numbers. He's uh, completing 72%. The only guy that's got a better completion percentage in the fourth quarter is Ben. Ben's completing 80%. But Joe Burrow's number two. He's number three in yards, 102 yards in the fourth quarter. And uh, he's thrown six touchdown passes, tied with Ben. They both get six touchdown passes. Ben only has one interception. Joe has two in the fourth quarter. But uh, – uh, Joe and Ben are both tied for fifth, amongst others, tied for fifth in the National Football League uh, with those six touchdown passes. So he's he's getting it done. You know, I mean, um, I'm really impressed with with uh, when the game's on the line, he's stepping up. And I do think that on a week-by-week basis, he is one of those guys that compartmentalizes things. And he's already making plays that are, oh, even with only an eight-game inventory, well, so-and-so did this to us, and we were thinking about making this adjustment, so let's do that. I mean, he's already taking experiences he's learned from games prior in the season and in this short a time frame. So he, you know, he has an ability, his mind, you know, the mental gymnastics to, to do that uh, at such a young age is, is pretty impressive. And that's the thing I think that makes Pittsburgh so good, offensively and defensively. you got a guy who's 38-year-old quarterback and you got a coordinator who's been with them for a while. You have a defensive coordinator that's been there forever. A lot of defensive linemen have been together, linebackers. So now it's um, – a lot of times they don't even have to come to the sideline. They'll, ben will say in the huddle, remember Denver did this to us, you know, like three years ago. Remember we did this. This is what we did. They make adjustments like that. And then if it doesn't happen on the field, what happened on the sideline? The coaches and players will get together. Guys, remember three, two years ago so-and-so was doing this to us and here's what we did? Let's, let's get that going. So that's where a huge advantage is. And, uh, and you know, Joe Burrow's got eight games to draw from. He's already drawn from it, from it but Ben Roethlisberger has 17 NFL seasons to draw from, you know. And uh, so it's just – it pales in comparison from just a pure experience level. And, and uh, experience breeds comfort level. There's no question about it. Burrow is the number one pick in the draft. He's living up to the hype. He's been fantastic. I don't think any Bengals fan would rather have anybody else. And yet, out in Los Angeles, Chargers fans are thinking, we've got maybe the best rookie of them all in Justin Herbert. He's been tremendous. 15 touchdown passes already. And right now in Miami, they're going, we've got the best guy. Tua Tungo Vailoa has only started two games, but they've won them both. Yep. And he had a passer rating over 120 last week. I mean, to have three guys come into the league – at the same time, and get off to starts like this, it's mind-boggling to me. Do you have any theory for why guys are able to do this now when they weren't able to in the past? I think I think that it's the NFL has kind of adapted their schematic to the college game instead of the other way around. And I, I think because of that, these guys come into the NFL with a very, very, you know— um, I already know this. They're very comfortable. Their mindset's not they're – not, they're not scared. They're not – scared's not the right word. They're not confused. You know, they're not intimidated. 
they come to that uh, into the NFL mini camps, and it's like they're probably making recommendations, like Joe is with the Bengals coaches. These other quarterbacks are with their coaches as well. This is what worked with us in college when we were doing this, these formations, and and trying to attack people this way. So, it's it's real interesting. And you know, I guess I guess you go back to uh, you know Elway and Kelly and guys like that. You know, some some years there've been drafts where guys have jumped on it right away but this is this is really unusual and the, and Justin Herbert now is a freak Joe Burrow I, m- I remember at the combine uh asked him about uh you know, obviously a big part of your game is from the ne- the neck up he goes oh yeah he goes there are guys in this draft that can make me look like a you know a child throwing the football and he's talking about Herbert I mean that guy rips the thing big strong guy as fast as Burrow but he's Taller, uh, probably thirty pounds heavier. Equally good head of hair. Equally good head of hair, uh, and he has a good mind for the game. I think Joe's what separates Joe is that football, you know, intellect, that football IQ. But uh, Tonga Valoa and and Herbert now, whew, those guys, uh, they're all they're players as well. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for this week's one-on-one player interview. On Wednesday, I caught up with the only player on the offensive line in the Tennessee game who had started the week before, right guard Alex Redmond. He earned an excellent overall grade of 84.8 from Pro Football Focus, the first time he has ever topped 80 in 28 career games. Alex, Dave Lapham said you were outstanding in the Tennessee game, and his words really knocking people around. Did you feel like it was the best of your five starts this year? I feel like it was. I feel like I came, you know, with the right attitude for this game and just, um, yeah, settled in nice. You were the only offensive line starter in that game that had been in the previous week. How concerned were you about the makeup of the group going into that game? Uh, I'm not going to lie. When um, when I heard that Mike was going down before the game, it was kind of like, oh, gosh, feeling. But um I've, I, I, you know, they just a testament to the to the guys that came in and stepped up the, their hunger and their passion for this game. You know, they they wanted it. They wanted it so bad. And I felt like it showed um, when we played the Titans. We're chatting with Alex Redmond. Beating a five and one team with four new starters on the offensive line is pretty much unheard of. Was that one of your most memorable experiences in football? I would say that was that was probably like the the most anxious I've been probably before a game um, just because, you know, the communication is so big with other offensive linemen, just uh, that camaraderie is huge. So the fact that we were able to do that on very little reps was, uh, I thought was pretty good. Mike Daniels was asked about the offensive line after the game and he singled out you and Quentin Spain for your physical play. Spain's only been here for about a week, but do you like what you see? Oh yeah, Quentin is a is a dog. I mean, he is was he was super stout in that game. He came in and people I, I don't think people understand how incredibly hard it is to play in the NFL. And then second of all, to to not to not be in the building for longer than forty eight hours and then start and then play very, very well in a game. I mean, I I feel like that was incredible. Getting back to Mike Daniels, it sounds like he sees a little of himself in you. Is it reciprocal? Do you do you feel the same way when you line up against Mike in practice? Going against Mike is like hitting a school bus. It is 
is incredible, his leverage and his power that he plays with. So, I mean, I feel like me and him bring a certain, uh, I don't know, just we, we just love playing football, I feel like. So, you know, I feel like other other people kind of see that in us. We just love the game. We love to be around each other, you know, hitting on each other, I feel like. So me and him kind of have that same kind of attitude. We just want to be rough and tumble and, you know, have fun and mess people up. We're visiting with Alex Redmond. You face the Steelers this week. They're number one in sacks. They're number one in quarterback hits, about 10 per game. How much of it is their scheme and how much of it is great individual talent? Well, obviously, you know, they have great coaches. And obviously those coaches put them in the right positions and make plays. You can have those same guys and then you not put them in the right positions and they're not going to make as many plays as they do. But, you know, I feel like they do a good job just across the board. Um, just, you know, just doing a good job at their assignments. They're really, they're, yeah, they're super good front. The tackle situation is interesting this week. Jonah Williams and Bobby Hart didn't play against Tennessee. Fred Johnson tested positive for COVID-19. As we do this interview, we don't know their status for Sunday. If there's a need for somebody to switch from interior to tackle, are you that guy? Yeah, I mean, if it needs to go there, I feel like I could I could play some tackle. But, well, that's just, you know, a decision that the coaches are going to make and I'm going to just have to follow through with. How much tackle have you played in your lifetime? I haven't played much tackle, but I feel like um, I feel like I could do a decent job. When was the last time? The last time I played tackle was last year during practice. How about in a game? I probably played tackle maybe my sophomore year in high school. Well, I hope that streak doesn't end. I hope you're uh, settled in at your usual guard spot for everybody concerned. Let's wrap up with a thought on Joe Burrow. Halfway into his rookie year, describe him in a few words. Um, he's poised, he's tough, and he's just an outstanding leader. He's steadfast. Um, I feel like he just commands everyone to be their best because he's out there doing his best, so you don't want to let him down or the people around you down. You kept him clean against Tennessee, no sacks. It's going to be hard against Pittsburgh, but uh, we know you're going to give it your absolute best to try to do that again. Best of luck against the Steelers, and thanks for the time. Thanks, Dan. Redmond is currently graded as the 42nd best guard in the NFL by Pro Football Focus, only one spot behind the Steelers' five-time Pro Bowler David DeCastro and 10 spots ahead of former Bengal Kevin Zeitler. DeCastro and Zeitler are both 30 years old. Redmond is still only 25. Now time for our Know the Foe segment, and our expert this week is Tim Benz, a Pittsburgh sports columnist and the host of the Steelers pregame show. He joined Lapp and Me this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Tim, I read a story, I think this came out yesterday in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, suggesting that the Steelers should hold out Ben Roethlisberger this week. I am all for it. Uh, is is there any chance on God's green earth that that happens? See, you're reading the wrong paper, Dan. That's the problem. That's not going to happen. If it's true, we tell you that would never happen. Um, well, I mean, they, I doubt that they would ever hold him out just because he didn't practice. I would doubt that they would ever hold him out just for the NFL version of load management, certainly not in a division game, certainly not with the Ravens nipping at their heels and a Raven game right around the corner. The only reason that I could see them 
holding him out would be if they got to Friday, maybe even to Saturday, and he said, you know what, I haven't gotten the right kind of treatment all week because of the COVID situation. It's been limited. My knees are still bothering me, or my one knee or both knees, whichever report you want to believe, uh, still bothering me from Dallas. That, that, to me, would be the only reason why they would hold him out. And I also don't think they, they were thrilled with what they saw in the limited exposure from Mason Rudolph in that one drive. And, you know, they tried to get rid of Josh Dobbs once before and then decided they had to bring him back. It was better to bring him back. So I, I doubt it. I, I don't think they'd ever willingly play without Roethlisberger. I hear that. And, and Roethlisberger will be John Wayne. He'll be, you know, he loves the drama. He'll be, ah, I got a couple of creaky knees, go out and throw for 404 touchdown passes. That's been, been Roethlisberger. He's got a new weapon. Claypool, freakazoid, 6'4", almost 240 pounds, runs 4'4", 40. I mean, tell us about this guy. What makes Claypool tick? Yeah, he's what I thought the Ravens were going to get in Boykin, you know, when they took right. him out of Notre Dame. But yep. he's, you know, just, he's kind of better in every category. You know, that's bigger, faster, stronger. And he's also bigger, faster, stronger than anybody else the Steelers have. And he was really, really good – through the Browns game, not quite as good the last couple weeks. And you've seen Juju start to emerge again, and that's not an accident. You know, it, it, Ben has been really good. I think the best part of Roethlisberger's game so far this year is what he's doing pre-snap. I mean, you can see him get up to the line of scrimmage, and he's doing the Russell Crowe beautiful mind thing. You know, he's got the the, the – tack board in front of him and he's seeing where the strings are going to connect and he knows who's got what <laughs> coverage and I tell you he's been really good pre-snap and he's just been really good at diagnosing where the tougher coverage is going to be and then he just goes somewhere else um the Titans were the first team to really try to take away Claypool first they put Malcolm Butler and sometimes help over there mm-hmm. uh, wherever Claypool was and that opened things up for Juju and he's kind of been rolling ever since um I'll be honest with you the the next step, I think, is him getting in sync more often with Deontay Johnson, who was very good as a rookie last year. And the two of them, they've tried to, to get in a vibe, and it just hasn't happened yet. They've been a step out of sync a lot, and there have been some wasted throws between those two. If they ever hook up consistently, I think that's going to really open things up for Juju because it's going to scare the other side, and it's going to relieve some of the pressure on Claypool, too, who's, who's going through some growing pains the last couple of weeks. Sure. Steelers pregame host Tim Benz is our guest. Did last year's 8-8 eight eight season with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph at quarterback change the way that Steelers fans feel about Mike Tomlin? Yeah, for a while until he, last, he lost his last three games. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then it was back to this guy. will never get back to the Super Bowl again. Um, you know, I think he deserved and got a lot of credit for doing whatever he could um, coaching-wise, scheme-wise, uh, the six days leading up to Sunday and then even on Sundays themselves to, to get them to 8-5. and five. And then, you know, one thing that's been an issue I've found in the Tomlin era is he's had a tough time in seasons getting the team back on track. Like those last three weeks were pretty bad. It was a 50-50 game against the Bills. They kind of had to win, and they didn't, and there were some – coaching things along the way in that game I didn't like and then they looked really bad against the Jets who even for the Steelers being who they were they should have beaten that Jets team last year and then they got housed by the Ravens backups the last week so it just didn't look 
great for Tomlin, even though he was fantastic in how he was a steward for the team for the first 13 weeks. And, you know, we saw that when the season fell apart at 7-2-1 and and they missed the playoffs. And, you know, there was a season between two Super Bowl years where they went 9-7 and and lost to four sub-500 teams and had a five-game losing streak that kept them out of the playoffs. Like, there have been times where Mike's had a hard time getting back on the rails. And so far this year, it's been anything possible to keep it on the rails he has via in-game management, in-game adjustments, or just week-to-week if something needs to be tweaked, he's pressed a lot of the right buttons. And um, he's got my coach of the year vote so far this year through eight weeks. One of the really great trades, recent trades, Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, it ends up costing uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers the 18th pick in the first round. Do that all day, every day. Minka Fitzpatrick is just such an unbelievable playmaker, what do the coaches say about Minka Fitzpatrick? What makes him so great? Instincts, uh, athleticism, smarts, that's what they talk about. Um, I also think there's a bit of a fear presence. It's not Ed Reed, but it's you know a watered-down Ed Reed of, uh-oh, there's a really good player in the middle of the field. I better make sure this is really, really open before I uncork this ball into the post. Like I think that exists. In fact, I go so far as to say for all the splash plays he made last year, what Minka did that was more important than anything else for Steelers was that exact presence of being in the middle of the field. It's not the plays that he's making when the ball is coming in his direction. It's the plays that aren't tried because he's there. Uh, I think that's been a, that's been more noticeable to Steelers defense than anything because like, the last year had five interceptions. Three of them were balls that bounced off of other players, targeted at other defensive backs, and he just sniffed it out once the play was botched by the receiver. Um, you know, there's a fumble they took back the other way where everybody stopped after Javon Hargrave hit Jared Goff. You guys remember the play last year where Devin Bush did all the dirty work, made that great play to track down Boyd, stripped the ball, it was just sitting there, and Mika picked it up and ran it back 35 yards. Like, those are the fluky plays that he made last year that he hasn't had as many of this year, but the presence still to be in the middle of the field and um, discourage quarterbacks from attacking the deep middle. Uh, I think you can't put a price tag on that. A couple more questions for Steelers pregame host Tim Benz. You mentioned Devin Bush. How badly do the Steelers miss him? They miss him. Um, it's a little difficult to quantify how much better they would be if he were been playing, but it's, it's easy to identify that teams seem more willing to run. And um, the, the middle of the field has been very open. Uh, I don't know how much of that is just because Devin is gone or what. I mean, he has not been what Devin White has been for Tampa. Um, he hasn't been Ryan Chase here yet, but he's been good and he's athletic. And the exact play that he hurt himself on against Cleveland, where he was streaking across the field, to get to a running back who was open along the sidelines and a little flare-out pattern and was going to go for 25 yards if he didn't get there. He totally scared the running back uh, for the Browns. He got right in his field of vision because he closed so much ground so quickly that he dropped the ball. And when he dropped the ball, Devin sort of adjusted, and that's how his knee went out. But he was going a million miles an hour, and you saw the athleticism come into play, and that's what they missed. I mean, Spillane is more athletic than he gets credit for, and he's been good. He's been better than what you had a right to expect. I'll be real interested to see how much Avery Williamson gets worked in this week, and at least in the run game, 
uh, how much he can help. The, the, the Baltimore situation is Baltimore. You know, that's, that's what they do. They're a funky kind of team to defend. That probably happens if Avery Williamson is in there anyway. I think that Avery Williamson might have helped more last week if this had been a non-COVID environment. They could have gotten him up to speed and got him ingrained to the defense um, against the Cowboys more often. Final question, and I appreciate you carving all the time you have for us. Danny Smith, I have a lot of respect for him. He has to be going nuts. That had to be one of the worst special teams performances against Dallas that the Steelers have had in quite a while. Yeah, they've been good. I mean, their special teams have have been nice this year. Um, Boswell's been fairly efficient, not as great as last year, but certainly way better than two years ago. Um, the punting itself hadn't been good, but George, getting Jordan Berry back for Colquitt was an upgrade. I guess they kind of made a mistake there, but they revisited it, and I think have the better puncher back now. Um, but you're right. I mean, they gave up a trick play on a punt. They had a perfect angle pooch kick after the Cowboys got a penalty following a touchdown. So they tried to pin him deep, and the kicker did everything he needed to do, and then the return guys fell all over the place, not to mention all the blocks that nearly happened. Right. Um, you know, and, and the pressure on the one extra point that I think made Boswell miss it. But, like, every place kick was almost blocked. And what was going on there, Dave, was they've got two rookies with very minimal experience on either side of the long snapper. And Demarcus Lawrence and Tyrone Crawford of the Cowboys just had a field day with it. And if you look at the film, you can see that, it's more about Lawrence, really, than it is Crawford. He's pulling Dotson down and right. pressing down on half an hour, and he's creating an alley for Crawford to get through without making the leaping penalty. He probably leaped a little bit, but he without it making it so obvious that the rest would call it. So they've definitely – you know the Bengals are looking at that all day uh, on their special teams reel. So if they can emulate that at all – it couldn't become an issue again for the Steelers this week. I, I was not surprised Tomlin didn't kick the field goal. I mean, I thought he he probably was thinking Crawford may get this one. <laughs> yeah, well, the reason I, I didn't like it, though, is, well, at least one thing I would have done differently is if you're telling me that you don't have faith in your kicking game to execute the kick, I don't know how on God's green earth then you have confidence to run the ball in a fourth and one yeah. where they haven't been able to do that all day. Right. You know, at that point, you might as well just throw a Roethlisberger, right, and have five options running around the field because the, the clock's going to stop anyway in the fourth down turn of possession. So why not throw it there if that's what your thinking is? And I, I don't know. I just – I think the way the math would have worked out and, you know, the, the only thing that could have really killed them in that situation is they had a Vot Tech kind of thing where they blocked it and ran it back the whole way, which right. I, I guess could have been the case. But, boy, you're counting on a funky bounce of the football that way. True. Mike Tomlin will not hesitate to use Chris Boswell this week because he is perfect for life against the Bengals. 48 for 48 <laughs> between field goals and PATs. Every week I watch him miss one until he plays the Bengals, and then he is the greatest kicker in the history of mankind. <laughs> not that I'm bitter. Tim Benz, appreciate you as always, bud. Hey, great being on with you guys again. Anytime you need me, I'm just a phone call away. Don't forget to tune in to the Bengals Pep Rally Show on Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. I'll be broadcasting UC football on Friday night, so Lap will be joined by Wayne Box-Miller on Friday's show. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. 
That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.